welcome to the JMS Podcast with Jorge M. Sanchez. Thank you for tuning in. We have another great episode with plenty of great stuff in it. Thank you again if you are tuning in for the first time and for those who have been listening for a while. Always, always welcome to hang out with me and my guest. I must uh, first say, get this out of the way, and that is you can subscribe to the JMS Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Please follow the JMS Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And don't forget, we have a website, jmspodcast.com. What's that? You want to email me something? Please, I'd love to hear all about it. You can email me at jmspodcast at gmail.com. All right, people, how are you guys holding up? I hope you guys are doing well. Hope everybody is getting by. If you're just getting by, that's 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 okay. I guess the idea is not to be still, not to uh, be stuck in one place. It's always important to make progress forward, no matter how slow or how fast. So, yep. Yeah, uh, I like to give a big shout out for the Sofa Street Festival organizers. It was a great festival that happened last Sunday had a good time I played a set and uh, at first we had a a rough beginning I was out of tune for one song and the uh, my pickup uh, signal lost it pretty much lost signal so that was awkward but we managed to fix it and we were back on track even got some people dancing. That was a surprise. I never had anyone dance to my music, and sure enough, it happened. And it happened on that one song that had had to do uh, that was about murder. So that was an interesting thing to observe. And that is that you can write the most depraved song you could think, and if you get a if you get a good backbeat to it, and some pretty good uh, bass rhythm, you can make anybody dance to it. That's what I learned in that moment. But thank you again for anybody who showed up at the uh, Frascati stage and caught me and my Wandering Poets playing. And it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Uh, I They wanted to hang out because uh, it was still late into the night. Plenty of stuff to do. Plenty of other bands to check out. But man, I was tired after my set. I was like an old person. And I, w- I got home at 9.30 and I just slept. Man, I am getting old. So sorry, folks. Old Jorge just can't keep up with you keep up with you any longer. I apparently need my beauty sleep. And uh, for those who are wondering, come on by on Wednesday nights at Cafe Frascati. I'm still running the comedy open mic, uh, which uh, lately has been action packed. I've been getting good crowds. On top of that, I had to stop a fight. I had to stop a fight between two comedians. Uh, I'm not going to say their names. They're both, I considered friends of mine and are well known in the community. And it was a rather petty fight. I, I walk outside and they're arguing. They're saying, yeah, you don't get laughs at this joke. You don't get laughs at this place. It was very petty. And um, before I knew it, it got physical and I had to intervene. And that was not fun. But other than that, come on by for more jokes though. Uh, I assure you that I don't, hopefully that won't happen <laughs> that often. But on Wednesday nights at Cafe Frascati downtown, show starts at 8 p.m. All right, did I for, I think I forgot to mention that my guest today is Jesus You Better Work. That is his stage name. He is a great comedian. And, uh, and for the most part, he was a mystery to me. A very entertaining guest. 
very entertaining comedian performer. This guy's a lot of fun. If you caught his act either in San Francisco or anywhere else in the Bay, you know what I'm talking about. This guy is a tour de force on stage. Great funny guy. Uh, he came over here and he was too fast for me. You might notice that during the interview, I am struggling to keep up with his jokes. And man, that took me off for a trip, I'll tell you that. But before we get to Jesus, you better work, we're going to take a pit stop and check out what Miranda Caravello's up to. She wanted to go check out a exhibit here at the San Jose Art Museum at the MoMA. Uh, it was an exhibit called uh, This Is Not a Selfie. And she has a very interesting take on it. And we had an interesting discussion about the philosophy of selfies. Yeah. I don't think it's going to go where you think it's going to go, so stay tuned. And uh, one last thing is that we have an active Patreon campaign. Uh, please pledge to the JMS Podcast. Go to Patreon or go to the website and just search for Patreon JMS Podcast. Any little bit helps, whether it's $1 a month, whether it's $5 a month. Uh, that stuff goes towards pretty much maintaining the website for this podcast and the hosting fees and to also invest into the uh, to the production team and you know help out the some people you know do their work and and help me uh, produce more content more interesting videos more articles so please check out the patreon campaign search for JMS podcast all right guys that's it of my rambling let's head on over first to Miranda Carvello let's go see what she's up to to another segment of Exhibit This with Miranda Caravallo. I'm Miranda Caravallo, and welcome to Exhibit This. <laughs> <laughs> How you been since? I have been uh, bad. Not great. I was going to say good, but then I was like, I don't need to lie. Who's, who's going who's gonna to catch me? No, I've been doing bad. It sucks. Yeah. I'm doing better now, but uh, it's been a uh, run of bad luck, uh, but mental stuff, job stuff, physical stuff. Um, there's a small chance that you're gonna have to edit out like ten or so minutes of me hacking my guts out in like a not not like that that attractive Victorian woman way where she like <clears throat> into a handkerchief and there's little spots of blood, but like like a um like I ate twelve packs of cigarettes every day for a decade. Wow, sounds sexy. Yeah, it's nice. I gotta yeah. think for those raspy voices, though. Yeah, I, I consider myself a really hip and um, metropolitan woman, and I gotta say, there's no better feeling than lying in bed at two in the morning, and you cough so much that you just puke in your mouth. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so what's new in the art world? What's going on? Yeah, I, I saw, I went to uh, MoMA, the SJ MoMA, uh, and caught the this is not a selfie exhibit that they have going mm. on right now uh and i really enjoyed it i'm i am a big supporter of that selfie lifestyle well, what about you jorge not at all I, I i can't really take a selfie of myself and put it out there on at least not on my feed that's a that surprises me why i don't know Do I, I just come off as narcissistic in some ways it's see it's funny that you consider selfies to be narcissistic do you consider self-portraits to be narcissistic? Like, Van Gogh painted, like, 
a dozen po- different portraits of himself. Oh, totally. You can think that's narcissistic? The B- biggest narcissist I know. Uh, that guy, well, that Van Gogh. I'm just kidding. I don't know. Touche. Yeah, well, I... I well, well, what do you think? I, I am fully in support of selfies. I, um, I think selfie is a sort of... Uh, juvenile term to describe something that's actually pretty sophisticated mm. uh, the example of and it's, what surprised me is because I know you're a director and I find that there's something very empowering in uh, taking full control in how you are perceived in the outside world mm. like you get to create something that shows how you see yourself and how you choose to see yourself uh, and I, I love that. I uh, used to not ever take selfies because I didn't like the way I looked, and yet I always wanted po- photos of myself. Like, I take fo- I took photos of all of my friends, I've taken photos of you, and I've always wished that, like, I could have some of myself, and then I finally reached the point where it's like, I'm going to, you know, sort of take control of this, and I'm going to frame my own image in my own way. And so it's like empowering, controlling yeah, your image. Yeah, it's really, I consider it a way to really take hold of your sense of self on your terms. Mm. Uh, which is... I never thought about it like that. That's interesting. I, I think it, it makes, I think the hatred of selfies has sort of misogynistic undertones because it's usually women who are taking that, usually younger women, and you know, society loves to hate things that young women like. You're right. Uh, but it, there's, it, yeah, there's like it, very... It seems like, uh, sorry to interject, but it just yeah. it, the the connotative descriptions of selfies seems to be aimed at predominantly women. Exactly. You know, and and the whole uh, when it's really like the act of taking a selfie is the exact opposite of the male gaze. It's seeing yourself through your own eyes, mm-hmm. uh, which is something that I you know. So I, going into this exhibit, uh, I was really interested to see how they would sort of treat that and take it, and I I really enjoyed it. Where, where do you start with describing this exhibit? And, and do you know, is it um, is it a, a variety of artists or is it what yeah? It's, it's it's a variety of artists, and they actually what I really liked is that they have an interactive section in the back where they have a sort of uh, throne esque chair set up and a device that you could use to change the color of the lights. So they have like a selfie studio in the back, which I loved i thought i thought it was fantastic like uh like a real live in-person uh filter yeah like the lights you could control like the colors and stuff um and there was like a sort of reflective piece of glass that you could like see yourself in and i thought that was that was super cool because it, it was very like the concept of a selfie studio i think treats it in a very a very reverent way, mm. a very self-reverent way that could be seen as narcissistic and could very well be narcissistic. But I, I, I find it very. I, I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Um, and they have a few like multimedia pieces. They had a big. I feel like it was embroidered. I should have taken a closer look at it. Uh, embroidered piece of uh, Frida Kahlo. So are people taking portraits of themselves or of other people or like selfies um, of them? It's it's. Uh, a lot of self-portraiture, um, some of themselves and some of other people. What I really liked is that there were a lot of exhibits, uh, or a lot of pieces that were not like full face traditional, like something you would see in your average selfie. There was uh, this one piece called Mirror Ball by, I know I'm going to mispronounce her name, I tried looking it up, uh, Anne Coulier, or Collier, uh, and it was... Um, a like a like a disco ball and in the mirrors you could see fragments of like just this woman's like eye and part of her hair 
Oh. And there was another piece. I can't even tell. You. This is the uh, this is the uh, fun part because it's like a scavenger hunt. You could go to this exhibit and find what I'm talking about. There were uh, a selection of like five pieces of uh, this the artist, the photographer, um, sort of bending and manipulating his face into kind of silly positions. Like, have, have you ever like pushed your finger into your face and like see what weird shapes you can make? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's like close-ups of that, and it, I loved the idea of fragmenting the self because it you know it brings it back to like i said like seeing what like seeing what you want to see mm. and i love i love that they sort of divided up the human identity into these different sort of pieces that were chosen by the artist uh, but there was also and this one was my favorite and it's it's the most simple and it's they actually had an andy i feel weird calling it a piece they had an andy warhol sort of memento where it was a like a, a photo booth strip of pictures of just him alone in a photo booth, and you know he's got he's he's pretty much he's got the same face in every shot, kind of dazed, the white hair, uh, and I deeply connected to that because that's actually something that I've done a lot. Like I have a lot of like photo booth pictures where it's just me alone in a photo booth, mm. and something it was something so simple that like I couldn't even explain why I wanted it but then seeing like Andy Warhol do it where it suddenly like gives it context where oh there's there's like a sort of connected and the connection here yeah in some ways photo booths are like the original selfies yeah right before cell phones were invented yeah absolutely because I guess I guess in some ways you gotta think about self-portrait and why this uh, notion of, of self-portrait comes from and how was it used and for me I always associate you know classical self-portrait you mentioned Van Gogh but I figure a lot of artists would uh, would do it for practice I think Da Vinci would do that you know to well I've I've um, I'm, I'm sort of a painter I, I paint uh, and I've painted several self-portraits of myself and for me it's always been sort of practice but not practice in the way of style practice in the way of identifying your own being where like you you do like I think that's why I understand the artist compulsion to draw picture after picture of themselves because it's a way it's making sense of who you are it's making a sense of your identity mm-hmm. and finding like either like beauty in it or just like a like even a clinical objective reason behind it right and I think when you're painting and doing uh, that, that leaves time to really contemplate, you know, every curve and stuff, so on. Exactly, like that, the, like the way we'd expect to treat a lover. Oh, interesting. You know, you're you're a dumb romantic. You know those the. <laughs> I'm that, very much a dumb romantic. Yeah, as am I. It takes one to know one. That yeah. that that want to sort of take a lover and just really learn every piece of them, uh-huh. and like learn every detail, every curve, every nook, every 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 strand of hair like we we give that attention to our partners but then it's turning that and giving that attention to ourselves mm-hmm. interesting and then going back to what i was saying though regarding painting yourself then you, you, you introduce photography yeah which is a whole different element now well with photography there's there's a matter of you know there's lighting there's the filter that everyone knows about even even bringing in like the snapchat filters with like the dog ears and the flower crowns that that's that plays into how we are viewed and it's maybe maybe people don't take selfies seriously because it's so easy to take one like painting a self portrait that could take like 
weeks maybe which was the point i was trying to make yeah like exactly the beginning of self-portrait is is painting and and, and really thoughtful uh, uh i guess uh math of trying to get things right or the way you want next to photography where it's like that's a skill to learn is photography now it's like you're giving that power to anybody well to just the average consumer absolutely who, d- who does not yeah. need to know anything about you know composition or or lighting it's there's just... there's where we disagree the mm. composition may not be the same as when you're holding like a film camera like a like a, a helga or whatever that's the only camera name i know <laughs> but if you take a selfie i'll uh, this is great podcasting i'm pulling out my phone flipping it to my photo album holding it at about selfie length there's there's a matter of turning to fi- the new form of composition is looking actually looking at yourself and finding the exact perfect angle. I was doing that on the train this morning. I was mm-hmm. taking a selfie and I was trying to find the angle that perfectly captured the light. I was like, what do I want people to see more? The collar of my shirt or my eye makeup? What do I want to see more? Like what it's it's Which is the angle I was trying to describe. Is like now anybody could do it. Not saying exactly. that not saying that's a bad thing. Right. But what I'm saying is that that empowers that person, like you mentioned, to choose themselves how they they want to be, you know, be photo Oh, photoed, you know, like yeah, like like you said, it's you know before you have to do that in the studio or in, in certain conditions. Now you could be on a light rail, and really you know use with the environment you have to come up with the shot that you want. Yeah, it's on very, your own terms. Yeah. publish it on your own terms. You know, and, and that's what I'm saying. It's like before, it's, it's skilled people would do it. You know, or or, or uh, just people in general who ha- who had access to those things. As of now, with cell phones. It, it doesn't matter what lifestyle you have, economics, you know, where you are with that, or just in general, whether you're somebody who's out there or someone who's inside the home. Like, you, anybody can be the self, selfie artist, I, I guess that's yeah. what I'm trying to say. And I feel maybe that's uh, a theme that this uh, gallery exhibition oh, yeah, was ab- trying to absolutely. I say. Feel like I feel like it's a way, like, I feel like the gallery takes great steps in legitimizing the idea of a selfie. Because it compares these, like, sort of more sophisticated photography of um, both, like, artists and of other people, uh, and ties that into selfies, really sort of putting the two on the same ground, which I think is a really innovative idea that I, I enjoyed greatly. Now, do you think this exhibition is ideal for people who already, in some way, appreciate selfies, or at least, or do you think a person who does not see selfie as creative uh like who, who do you think would i i think get the I, most out of this exhibit honestly i think i think either would because i think it has the potential for some really interesting conversations because hmm. like if you if you're not at all interested in selfies you can sort of see these people photographing themselves and like maybe even ask yourself like why is this better than like someone taking something on snapchat and if you're already into it, you get a chance to see this work of art that you probably think of as, like... Because even a lot of the people who take selfies are like, I know they're dumb, I know they're stupid. Which I think is a really unhealthy and sad mindset, because you could be like, I like doing this, so whatever. Well, here's another thing to take account, is that I think the primary... Correct me if I'm wrong, but the primary uh, application on your cell phone that's used for selfies is Instagram. I think it's Instagram and Snapchat, about evenly. Okay. And uh, I mentioned this before on, on, on the guest who was here earlier, but I, I heard somewhere, I wasn't sure if it's an article from another podcast, and that the average user 
looks at their Instagram account at least like about 38 times a day. That sounds right. <laughs> and and you go back and we figure like you know what's you know besides the obvious of like you know keeping up with any uh, I don't know likes that comes on your on your feed. Uh, what does that say about selfie culture of like th- this constant uh, checking to I, see I mean, if people you know like your your selfie? I think that's not generally why people look. 36 times a day because you know compare that to how many times people check their Facebook or check their any form of social media you know and and I feel like it's split even like pretty evenly between seeing you know the self val the 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 desperate need for validation from other people on whatever whatever the hell we posted and finding other people or taking more content or you know sharing and validating the content of your loved ones I think it would be you know, I think it's an overgeneralization to say that we're only doing it to see... Because, sure, some people are trying to put out their own sort of identity in the name of getting it validated, which, you know, isn't ideal, but I wouldn't blame them. Like, the, in this age of social media, and in, in this age of, like, technology, you... People don't feel alone anymore. Like they and they don't feel alone, which is a double-edged sword because they don't know how to feel. They don't know how to feel alone. Like at any point in time, you could just desperately like text someone and like, you know, have them reassure you that you're a person and that you exist. Uh, and you know that could be used as a crutch, but at the same time, it could also be very. It, it's like it's it's. I think it could be used as a tool to learn the skills to be able to live with yourself and live with being alone and like live with your own existence. Hmm. Any other works of art in this uh, exhibit that give you an impression? Uh, I I actually I really liked there was a Sigmar Polk photograph where it's uh, a person in a long fur coat who is looking at paintings in a museum. <laughs> it's pretty I, meta. I enjoyed that. I I really enjoyed that because I actually also. Um, I, I like I rotate between taking selfies and actually using the auto timer on my phone and taking like actual like you know candid pictures of myself and I think that that takes that's like kind of what I consider to be the the middle ground between actually having a camera and like a photography studio and just like bloop time to put this on my Snapchat. But all right, uh, any closing remarks regarding the exhibit? Um. Yeah, I, I highly suggest go, regardless of your feelings on selfie or portraiture, if, if if you don't like it, I think you should see it and sort of try and open your mind to different perspectives. And if you do like it, I think it's worth a lot to see, like, something that you take so easily and that's so accessible and could be a very intricate part of your life and see it as a very serious and legitimate art form. Uh and try to find that connection. Because right. Andy Warhol did selfies. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this exhibit's happening at the San Jose Museum of Modern Art, and it's happening from... Is, it's happening right now, you said? Yeah, it's happening right now. It's it's fairly new. It should be up for the next few months. All right. Yeah. So uh, admissions for this uh, exhibit? It is uh, $6 with the student ID. Otherwise, I think it is 10 maybe. But uh, then that's that's for like the whole museum, and, and they are, always have really great stuff. 
and totally worth it, right? Oh, absolutely. So, so bring bring someone who I bring someone who disagrees with you. Have a, have a nice chat. And it, why do you think they titled it? This is not a selfie. Because it seems like they're promoting it in some way. I think I well, I really feel like this is like. Is it meant to be ironic? I'm, I no, I think because I, I I'm not super into the term selfie. Because it feels so, like, juvenile and kind of infantilizing. Like, oh, a selfie. Uh, cutesy. And, and I think calling it, this is not a selfie, it's saying, like, this isn't just, like, some, like, joke, narcissistic nonsense. This is, like, this This is, this is not new. This is not a new invention. This has been around for, like, generations. Mm-hmm. Which I think not many people think about. Yeah. Yeah, like it's like yeah, we've been... It's it's definitely there's there's a lot to take in and a lot to discuss about it. So you, so you know, bring I bring bring some people and uh get into a debate. Get into an argument, get into a fist fight <laughs> in a museum. Yeah. Then you know it's a really good example. Then you know it's real. <laughs> All right, I'll try to swing by and check it out myself. Bring someone to fight. All right. Miranda, thank you for coming by. You're welcome. Bye. The exhibit, once again, is This Is Not A Selfie at the San Jose Museum of Art. The exhibition will be happening until January 14th, which is a Sunday. So you got all this time you got from today until the 14th of January to go check it out. I will certainly will. So maybe maybe we'll see each other. Who knows? All right, let's move on to our main guest. Our guest is Jesus You Better Work. And uh, I, I got a real kick out of this interview. I had a lot of fun. He was a great guy. Um, I'm really lucky that he came by. He took the train to San Jose. And uh, he really went out of his way to do this podcast interview. And I think uh, I, I think uh, we had a good time. We had a real good time. And again, if you haven't already, uh, you can find him on Facebook at Jesus You Better Work. And I think he has a website, which I'm sure he mentions. All right. Let's head on over to my conversation with comedian Jesus You Better Work. Now, do you go by... Do you prefer Jesus or Jesus? Jesus. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Do you find yourself, like, correcting people? Like, you're like, it's Jesus, excuse me? Uh, it depends on who it is. If you like the person or not? Huh? Well, depends on how much money they have. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's cool. Yeah, no, my name's Jose. But Jesus, I'm happy you're you're here. Oh, thank you, Jorge. Are we on? Are we live? Yeah, yeah. Live? Oh, my God. I'm well, alive. I don't know if we're live, but we're, we're definitely recording. Okay. This is going down in the books. I'm so nervous. I feel everyone's staring at me. Sorry, I don't mean to... Did it get out of frame already? Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's so great to be here. Yeah, yeah. I was really excited to have you on. Like, I was a little nervous. I wasn't sure if you were willing to to come on here. Uh, Why were you nervous? 
I don't know. Like I, I, I considered you as you know pretty top notch comedian. Like I felt like this was above you or something. Like, I've never been called notch before. <laughs> well, when I first met you, you came by the Frascati mic. Yeah, I was running yeah. it. And I remember you came in with a certain attire. You know, you had this, this sparkling uh, yellow uh, suit, right? Yeah. Well, that's part of it. It's my sequins. And you yes, came and in, gems. and I remember you you here to sign up for the comedy thing, and, and I did not know what to expect. Oh yeah, I hear that a lot. And you know, you ran you ran an open mic before, so sometimes you yes. hear you hear the same old things the same night. So when you see someone new, uh, you, you get excited because you're like, oh my god, I'm going to hear something right. new, a fresh perspective. Oh, you hope so, yeah, of course. And you came uh, on stage and you just knocked it out of the park because uh, you, you, did, you did much Thank more you. than just comedy. You you did a you did a dance number as your closing. You bit. know it, absolutely. Yeah, that was uh, Frascati's always a lot of fun. But um, yeah, the dance. Uh, well, you know when I started, it's uh, been five years actually since I started officially pursuing stand-up comedy, and. Uh, it's definitely been an evolution. <laughs> uh, but, you know, yeah, I started and then um, it just gradually it felt more and more right to put on, you know, a little decor or something shiny because the personality was really coming out too on stage. And I always knew, dance has always been a part of my life. So um, I always had that, uh, not not fantasy, but, you know, that... that uh, I always wanted it felt natural to incorporate dance uh, especially the way you know with like the costumes coming on and just the way the personality was developing on stage so uh, once yeah I mean once it was uh, a for sure thing like well once the dance happened I was just you know it's Seal the deal how long in comedy were you by the time you you put inserted the dance number that was, I think, maybe two years into oh. into stand-up comedy. Yeah. I uh, hit up a fabulous choreographer by the name of Corey Action, who is a founder and choreographer for New Style Motherload in Oakland, California. Um, you know, not Oakland, Tennessee, no. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I've been following that dance company since about 2003, 2004. So when he, when I just kind of hit him up out of the blue and see if, um, I mean, I, I didn't think it was going to really be possible. I was like, maybe I can just, you know, play a song and just for the sake of, you know, satisfying my urge of dancing. Um, but when I hit him up and I said, you know, I haven't, I hadn't been in contact with him in a while. And I proposed, you know, just putting together a little choreography for, you know, it's just this silly little comedy set that I had put together by that time. And, and yeah, he was totally agreeable. And it was, I mean, a dream come true, really. And since that point, it's been, I think, four or five choreographies that, um, you know, he's uh, put together for me. Initially, what were some of the feedback you received from the audience and comedians who knew you were doing comedy and now you brought this new element to it? Oh, God. Well, people that knew me weren't surprised because... <laughs> it's only a matter of time. <laughs> and I think, actually, at that point, the comedians that I had already met and befriended, um, I mean, it just seemed natural. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, the dance is, 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 has always been well-received. Um, has there I been think, a situation where it was not well-received? Yeah, I was just thinking about that. I remember 
uh, there was this one place in Hayward. <laughs> oh God, Hayward's you know, a tough spot. You know, it was, it was just kind of a, a, a random bar uh, in, in Hayward, and uh, a friend of mine who's since moved, I think, to down to Los Angeles, was like, "Oh yeah, we're just hitting up uh, an open mic in, in Hayward." And I remember it was like maybe four or five um, <laughs> very heterosexual looking men with like tattoos on their necks and stuff. Normally that would be sexy, but I was like, oh my God, I'm a little nervous about doing this. But I showed up already dressed up. So, cause we had just come from a showcase and yeah, I remember at the, <laughs> oh God, I remember the, the comedy. I mean, no, not one of those like five guys even ever looked at me. Oh no! It was almost like they were deliberately that's like, the worst. Yeah, looking away, and yeah. I think it was just more so. I, what I think is just more the gay content, the outrageousness, and then when the dance came around, um, I, I mean, I was just like, just don't touch anyone, Jesus. Okay, and I think it'll all be good. <laughs> <laughs> the bartender though, she was fabulous. She was really you know rooting for me, and she even tipped me. So oh nice. So that was really you know. There's always. Everything, as as I'm sure you know, with you know performing and stand up comedy and so forth, it, everything is always an experience, and there's always something to be learned. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> now the music, because you brought your own boombox with you, like a little miniature boombox to. Oh yeah, to the little music. miniature. Do you speaker. come prepared? I must admit. You know it. That's from my bottoming days. You know, you always have to come prepared. <laughs> you don't want to get messy or be a hot mess on stage, right? <laughs> or when all eyes are semi on you, right? No, uh, but yeah. Well, that was also. I mean, everything like I said is a learning experience. Um, you know, not all places where you do either an open mic or a showcase are equipped to play music, or they don't know how to play music. I've learned the hard way, unfortunately, when it's really embarrassing when your music won't play <laughs> or you think it's like they have it. And then, you know, you, you like, okay, press play. I'm going to bring you all home with a dance tonight. And then like, it doesn't play. And I was like, oh my God, that's really moated. <laughs> so yeah, so I took it into, you know, it's all learning. So I have my, my speaker with me when I, when I have to. And, yeah. um, and yeah, I mean, I just, I make it a point to try and check in with whoever's organizing, a, you know, a showcase or an open mic to see if we can do a music check beforehand, which sometimes I think people, <laughs> the organizer gets, uh, not, not, uh, not the majority of time, but like they'll get a little annoyed because they're like, um, no other comic has asked us to do this. Oh, really? Well, okay. it's going to be worth it, I promise. <laughs> Now, uh, what were some, uh, so would you say that this persona that you built on stage in comedy, mm-hmm. it's like an alter ego, right, almost? Alter boy ego. Alter boy ego. You better work. And uh, what elements of those, like, where did the inspiration come from? Well, I'm not really sure. I mean, like I said, it was like something that evolved. It just... You know, I was noticing, because, you know, I mean, I started stand-up comedy. I was, like, everyone terrified, and I always knew, um, I mean, I was always kind of uh, outrageous and um, talking about, you know, hooking up with guys and stuff like that, but try to make it funny. And it just kind of, yeah, I mean, it just kind of went that way. I was just kind of felt right to decorate the joke with you know something on the outside something sparkly i thought would really complement 
it. So, you know, I got the started with like the little miniature sombrero on my head. Yeah. Put on some sun like crazy like party glasses. And then I had a, like a sparkly bow tie and then, you know, before I knew it it was just like it was laundry day, honey. <laughs> so it's been five years since we've been doing comedy. Yeah, it was uh, in August. I uh, completed August. five years. Well, congrats, man. Thank they you. They say that in comedy, it takes five years to find out you're even funny. Really? Yeah. Who said that? <laughs> uh, it's, uh, I saw it on a documentary. Oh, really? Yeah, it's such a long journey. You know? Five years before you even know you're funny? Yeah. <laughs> or whether you know you're funny or not. Exactly. Oh, okay. I think, I think the latter. I'm going to give myself another five years then. <laughs> <laughs> But, Maybe it's uh, different for the gays. <laughs> but where did you start, essentially? Uh, were you born and raised in Redwood City? And is that where you started doing uh, comedy? Well, Redwood City is where I live now. And before that, I was I grew up in San Mateo. So I've always been in the peninsula. You know, 650 area could hope for life. 415 before it was even 650. But I started, uh, I just started doing theater. That's kind of my background and I think that's kind of where like the you know putting something like a, a costume type thing on feels right to me was this in high school or in college or I started doing theater right after high school right after what kind yeah. of productions were you involved um well I I think it started with my breakthrough performance as shark number seven in City College of San Francisco's production of West Side Story oh nice <laughs> I was like what about Anita that I wanted to I wanted to read for her so were you a singer <laughs> as well like to do musicals uh no they did it because I had brown skin and because I could dance oh <laughs> and I could dance well enough they had um yeah, I think in that particular, it was a fabulous cast. It was such a great experience. I mean, I think I was like 20 years old. And um, it was, I think the actors of color that were cast were Filipino, interestingly enough. To, and they just put them as the Latinos? And they, of course. <laughs> oh, no. And they had, and I think it was like two or three uh, black actors that, you know, because they're Puerto Rican, so right. so they could pass. I mean, they were just like, you know what? At this point, we just need people of color. Yeah. <laughs> we're it, not getting them. And the Jets, they're all, they're all white. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. There, there was like, that was where the competition was, I think, because they had plenty of Jets, girl, okay? I was like, even Jet Blue was there. Have mercy. It was crazy. <laughs> How'd you get involved with that production? That one was, so I took it, I, acting has always been an interest of mine. Um, so, and I, and I'll still do it here and there when, um, you know, Someone will, will cast me. But um, I took an acting class at Kenyatta College in Redwood City. And then, you know, the teacher just let us know about... I'm not sure if this particular magazine... Because this was, like, when... It, bef just right before the internet was, like, really, like, the only... Uh, you know, essentially the only thing that you have to... That you can... That you have to use in order to, like, you know... And, for instance, do castings. But it was Theater Bay Area magazine. And in the back part of the magazine, it was, um, that's where they had all their audition listings. So that's where I got the West Side Story one. And you got the bug sense? And yeah, well, that and other bugs, but, um, but yeah, I got the acting bug too, along with <laughs> everything else. <laughs> yeah, no, that was fun. It was, I, um, I remember that particular audition. So, if, you know, cause it's a musical, they wanted to hear you sing. So I did, uh, La Bamba. Mm. And God, after... After that, and after giving a really bad monologue, because I was so fresh and so nervous, um, the director was there, not even looking at me, looking down at his notes, asked me, um, Jesus, you're uh, more of a dancer, right? And I was like, um, I guess, yes, I am. <laughs> so that's a, I knew, like, 
you know, he wasn't very impressed with either the monologue or the singing. Oh, sorry to hear that, but that's tough. <laughs> it was all good. I mean, I got cast ultimately, and you know, I think that's really what matters. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I think it was. Uh, I, I love you know, like you said, you watch documentaries about like comedy. I love watching um, documentaries also, or particularly you know, comics that you enjoy. And Joan Rivers, you know, she has something. She was like, you know, I've never, I was never first choice for anything. Um, and they were like, oh, so, you know, so how does it feel, you know, if you were like second choice? She was like, do it, you know, just go through the goddamn door if you're second choice, just get it. And I think that's, I think that's great. Yeah. I mean, you know, well, yeah, sometimes, you know, forget you the ego, just do it. Got to roll the punches and go with the next opportunity available, right? Amen. Right. Now you're doing theater, but you have not yet thought about doing comedy. Like, was this in the back of your head or was it? Like at what point did you yeah. did you go from like all right I'm doing theater I'm dancing and I'm acting mm-hmm. but now I want to try stand up. Oh God, that was like years and years. Stand up comedy didn't even enter like my you know even I didn't even consider it at all. I think in fact I remember um, just kind of you know and just thinking I was like what of other types of performance uh, performing. I was like, what about stand-up comedy? And I just remember thinking, oh, God, that's like... I just shut it down immediately. Just the thought of it. Well, that I, was terrifying. Oh, because it was too terrifying? Yeah, and I was like, I'm, I'm not... You know, I can make people laugh. I knew that. But um, but not in that context, you know, of like... It's just you, the microphone, and then, you know, the audience. I just thought it was terrifying. But I think that came like years, years... Basically, like five years ago, I think. Because at that point, I was... Um, I had it was kind of a build up. I was like, I really wanted to take on that challenge of I'm like, can I actually like stand up, you know, on a microphone and make people laugh like with things that I come up with? And um, but it was it was really terrifying as I'm sure you you can relate. Sure. What was the um, ultimate push though? Because it seems like you were very hesitant. Yeah, I think it was. I mean, I think it just had built up to the point where I just had to do it. Just to just to know or just to get it out of the way kind of thing, you know, like first time bottoming. But I <laughs> was uh, I actually had tried it first, like in 2009, um, I think it was around that time frame at the Brainwash Cafe in San Francisco, where so many people have, you know, did their first mic. Um, and it, it was just like it. it it felt good just to get it out of the way, like I said, but I it wasn't until 2012 that I it had built up again, and mm-hmm. so I went so to the... So your first time, it didn't go so well? Is that why it took you a while? It was just it was just kind of more like, I think it was just, I was more focused on getting, getting it out of the way versus actually making people laugh. Like, I was oh. up there acting a fool. Like, yes, I'm very gay, but it was just too much. And I have it recorded actually, and it's extremely painful to even... You still press, keep it around? To even press play. You still keep the audio around? <laughs> yeah, well, it was it was video recorded. Oh. Yeah, and it was like with the kind of video recorder where you put a tape inside. Uh-huh. Like a, like a mini DV? Or... Yeah, like, a, like those mini tapes. Mini tapes? Yeah, and um, I mean, I was just being extremely silly. I tried to pop out like, you know, the few jokes that I had actually written down on paper and I remember you know people were like I think more so just laughing because of the kind of the you know again the outrageousness of it and just being like I was like oh oh my god oh my god oh my god I'm so nervous and so you know I just defaulted 
to to that I think to just kind of you know get it out of the way but yeah it was in 2012 I went back to uh, what is now uh, unfortunately not happening anymore but it was a San Francisco queer open mic and um, I was like well let's just do it again and try and that was in August 2012 and it was I mean you know it was the first again essentially the first time uh, comedy open mic so it was okay Uh, but I remember they were very receptive it was a you know more of a uh, a specific type of crowd and uh, Uh, the queer community yeah, for yeah, for the most part, it was the. the you felt community. more comfortable in that element to be doing I did, comedy. Yeah, I definitely felt more, yeah, more comfortable and just it felt right, and um, and yeah, I mean it was, I mean the set itself was you know was the set, but uh, <laughs> but I was just really happy to have found that type of event, uh-huh. and yeah, to be in community was great. Okay. Yeah. And uh, at what point were you like, you know what, this is something I'm going to do long term here. Like, I don't think there was ever that point. Was there? <laughs> I was like, no, I'm just doing this to like, you know, get by and stuff and pay my bills. <laughs> Did you? Uh, I only do it for the money. W- would you say that there's a, a different uh, aesthetic when it comes to comedy performing to a uh, queer crowd as opposed to mm-hmm. a a uh, predominantly heterosexual crowd do you feel like you have to adjust um sometimes i mean i don't even know if you can like see it that way where oh this is a gay crowd or this is a you know predominantly heterosexual crowd or you know this is a down low crowd because that's a very special crowd Down low crowd. But, uh, <laughs> but, because you know what i mean i think with that one of the I would say that's a great thing about stand-up comedy is that you just never know what people are expecting or wanting to see or to be entertained by. Mm-hmm. I've performed for predominantly um, gay-identified audiences where the material just wasn't what they were looking for. So it was, you know, kind of a, a half-assed reception. <laughs> I mean, it's never been... I haven't had a bad experience as far as like get off the stage or being booed or anything like that. But um, but just the same, you know, I've performed at venues where it's, um, you know, a predominantly heterosexual crowd or, a, you know, a predominantly white crowd or um, crowd of color. And at least in my experiences, it's been you just really don't know. You just kind of, you know, you have to get out there and and show them what you got and pray (laughs) and pray that they're going to like it. Mm. I think one thing is that I've heard other comics say is, um, yeah, I mean, you want to know your crowd, but I mean, sometimes you don't even really have that possibility, right? You're just, you don't really know what kind of crowd it's going to be. Um, But I think... um, it kind of connects with being in the moment and I like to if it's like a community that I've never been to like a city that I've never been to before is doing research on that city and just kind of you know trying to formulate a joke out of it and share it with them I think that's you know kind of more so like connecting in that way hmm. at least for like you know the sake of an opener or something um, I think it's just um, I think it's a good idea for you know comic any comic regardless of you know what like your your shtick is if you will right mm-hmm. now 
I know here in the South Bay, I can't speak for the North Bay, but I know in the South Bay, there's not too many uh, uh, queer comedians who are, mm. who, are, who are out there, you know, long-term-wise. Do you feel like there's the landscape of comedy lends itself to, to, uh, to a queer comedian to strive, or do you feel like there's some challenges still? Yeah. And the reason I'm asking that uh-huh. is because for, for a long time in stand-up comedy, uh, being queer would be a butt of a joke. You know, that would be the... Like, no the... pun intended. <laughs> Hello. Wow, you're, you're a fast one. Not always. And I figured now, especially here in the Bay Area, where mm-hmm. there's a, a bigger community of of, of queer people, mm-hmm. uh, they kind of look look for people in, in, like, let's say, to look up to. Right, yeah. I mean, I think that's applicable to, you know, all different types of communities, um, you know, in this case, we're, you know, we're talking about stand-up comics, but, you know, comics who are of color or come from a certain socioeconomic background. I mean, I think it's about really just connecting. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think so you know, specifically if you're being, um, if you identify as queer or as gay, as bisexual or transgender, I mean, I think the, I think the talent is definitely there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, it can be even more scary for, uh, that type of entertainer to try and share themselves because for fear, you know, that, uh, they're going to face homophobia or transphobia. Um, I mean, I think unfortunately it's, it's still there. It's there for female comics. It's there for comics of color. Uh, but I think ultimately what... I mean, at least for myself, it's like, well, you know, I, I want to share what I've written down on paper and and my dancing, too. You know, basically, the entertainment that I've come up with, um, I want to share it. And if hopefully, you know, if someone if wants to be entertained by it, then then holla. <laughs> Did you have any uh, queer comedians that you look up to? Um. I mean, yes, I am just by local comics. You know, a good friend of mine is Justin Lucas, who is also another um, gay comic um, who's just, I think, hysterical. And we've, you know, we've met we met during or doing stand up comedy. And now we've become really great friends um, like, you know, we'll apply each other's enemas and stuff. So it's, it's <laughs> that's a, very a true friendship. Bond. Right there. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we've shared double-headed dildos, uh, but so it's just, you know, uh, update Facebook status. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, yeah. And then, you know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, queer identified comics in the Bay Area. I think we're, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't have to say, you know, we're very lucky, but it, but we do, we have so much talent. Um, Sanson McCormick, um, you have, you know, Irene too. I mean, the list, I, I don't want to like go on and on and stuff because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But, um, it, I mean, I, I'm really happy that, you know, I'm, I'm doing it here. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, but then again, I haven't had much experience outside of the Bay Area. So I don't, I'm sure there's, you know, the, the comedian community is, um, they're everywhere. But um, I think, but yeah, I mean, going back to your, if I look up to other queer comics, um, definitely I get inspired by about, seeing everybody. How about in general? Any comedians that you were, you were looking up to while you're getting your feet wet with comedy? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the same. I mean, I, I, I enjoy, I mean, I enjoy watching stand-up comedy. I enjoy uh, being an audience for all kinds of entertainment, uh, for dance, for theater, for stand-up comedy. And like I said, there's always something to be learned. And I mean, there's always something that you'll take away. Um, but yeah, I mean, ooh, excuse me, I had to burp. <laughs> I'm having this chunky hazelnut co- iced coffee here that you bought me. Thank you so much, Jorge. Is it good? It's delicious. I know, like, some people are, like, you know, they got their Starbucks or their Pete's coffee. And, right. And then not many, you know, down the street from where I live, it's the, I don't know, the coffee bean and leaf, tea leaf. I don't know what it's called. Yeah, but, well, that's where we went, right? Yeah, that's where we mm-hmm, went. So mm-hmm. I, some people get nervous. Like, it's, like, a new place. They don't know if it's going to be good. And Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I wasn't nervous. I was just kind of like, because it's grounded in SoCal, steeped in culture, you know, kind of <laughs> like my ex-boyfriend. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I I enjoy watching all comics, be it national headliners to comics that are now just starting and doing open mics. So it's something refreshing scene. Who gave you the biggest impression? The biggest impression? Mm-hmm. Um, you mean like locally, like local comics no, or just any, any, oh my God. Oh, have mercy. Margaret Cho is great. Mm. I think she's hysterical and I've been watching her for years and you know, of course she's a San Francisco native. Um, but I'm also a big fan of Phyllis Diller, uh, Lawanda Page, who I think is so underrated. She's probably more famously known as Aunt Esther from, uh, from Sanford and Son, the seventies sitcom. Oh, right. She is hysterical. And, I mean, she's no longer with us, and neither is Phyllis Diller, but... Um, You're really into the classics, CDs. man. Oh, yeah. I mean, I yeah. think it's, you know, it's so interesting um, to see how stand-up comedy specifically has the also, you know, a type of evolution as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what was considered so risque, um, you know, for instance, in, in the 70s, it's like, you know, piece of cake now, it's been done kind of thing. Yeah. But um, <laughs> it's been done. Joan Rivers. I really like female comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, um, I really like them a lot. Uh, and I don't think it's, I mean, it's not a, a preference. It's just something where it's like, I just find their material more entertaining and more inspiring too. In the, ho- in the household that you were growing up in, was there comedy involved? Like as far as, you know. Oh my were, God. Were they, like, were these comedians you know did, did your did your parents uh were watching these comedy specials or or siblings no um well it would be parent <laughs> i was i was raised by my mother okay. um and your father wasn't in the picture from the beginning girl he was never in the picture not even a family picture okay. i've never uh my parents divorced when my mom was pregnant with me because I remember hearing that hung jury in court, and I mean, I, I remember it all. Mm. But uh, yeah, no, it wasn't the best marriage. But um, uh, but my mom, yeah, raised myself. It's my older brother and my sister who's the oldest. And um, I mean, we didn't stand up comedy uh, wasn't really like a thing. I, um, I didn't hear about it until, you know, until I got older and stuff. But we really enjoyed, if you know, uh, also being Mexicano, um, La India Maria movies. Oh, I remember yeah, those. Maria yes. Elena Velasco is the, uh, who's uh, no longer with us also oh, either, oh. but. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, dude, you just brought back memories. Oh yeah. So, so we were big on her movies and yeah. she is just such, she's also another big inspiration for me. How about Cantinflas? 
Cantinflas is great, legendary. Uh, I will be honest though, I, I don't, I'm not as familiar with um, his films versus La India Maria. Okay. Uh, but I mean, yeah, those are, I mean, those are like, like you said, you know, like the legends. Yeah. You know, yeah. really set like a, a blueprint. Even in Mexican cinema, you know, like there's such Absolutely. great films. Oh, yeah. See, sí. el este la época de cine de oro mexicano. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's um, definitely for sure. So you grew up on, on La India Maria, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we watched her movies. Um, also, um, you know, telenovelas. Um, but yeah, humor has definitely been a huge part of my family. It still is. Now, were your is your was your family supportive when you chose to get into a comedy, or were they like, uh, <laughs> "Here it goes again"? I think that's yeah. I think that's more their attitude. It's like they just they just kind of go with my flow, which is yeah. very much. I, I provide the same with my family, <laughs> right? That, well, my mom's kind of just more like you know, as long as you know you don't get pregnant, it's all good. I'm like, okay, fine, mom. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, I couldn't have my quinceañera after all Because I thought I was going to get pregnant mm. Now, it was, are your siblings creative themselves? They are, they, um, not necessarily in the sense where like, you know, they're on stage or anything But they're very funny um, They're, I mean, I would describe them as characters But uh, I think more like in the public, they're, they're a little more reserved And you were the youngest? I'm the youngest of three, yes. What was the age uh, gap between you and... and well, the... My sister is... I think she's about 11 years older than myself, and my brother and I are three years apart. Oh, wow. How was that yeah. dynamic, having a, a much older sister? Um, was she like a second mother? It was cool because, you know, as far as clothing, I got her all, all her hand-me-downs. So it was fun. No, it was... Uh, uh, it was fine. I mean... It, she um she's cool <laughs> she had uh her daughter um when she was 15 um you know which is a late bloomer in mexican terms but um i'm just like oh god <laughs> so so there was that also my niece who's four years younger than me so we had like that more you know sister sister relationship versus auntie and niece <laughs> were you already out at a young age yeah I mean I just didn't know it but I think everybody else did um, yeah I mean I was I, officially it was I was 19 when I made it official but I mean I think at that point I, there was really no need for any kind of making it official mm -hmm. everyone was like oh oh we thought you already came out but okay cool congratulations <laughs> Now, did that ultimately make it easier for you or, or was that like hey wait a minute uh, I mean it, it felt good to just say it mm -hmm. you know there is something there is definitely something very powerful about being able to vocalize something versus just um, you know there being like an indirect understanding uh, amongst you know you and your, your loved ones that you know this is who you are um, there's something yeah very gratifying about being able to say I'm gay, uh, especially, you know, with, like, as far as you know, society or just growing up and your bad experiences. Um, it, yeah, I mean, I remember it feeling really good. And still, like, um, you know, when if someone asks, well, I mean, that really rarely happens because <laughs> they don't really have to ask. Um, but yeah, but just being able to say that I'm gay 
yeah. is uh, because yeah I mean I actually you know try to front for like during like my teenage years and stuff uh, my you know I like many other people you know had to go through the whole like getting called you know the, the homophobic slurs and being asked are you gay oh just kidding I'm like bitch you know you're not kidding <laughs> how much homophobia do you, did you experience when you're growing up as a teenager um it was uh, i mean it was enough for sure i mean it really just takes you know because <laughs> just one bad experience to really make you feel pretty crappy right to, to really leave an imprint huh yeah i and, mean and i figure it's like you grew up in marin county i figure it's a progressive uh area mm-hmm. you, you would think right yeah oh me in marin county Oh, it was a peninsula. Girl, no, San Mateo County. San Mateo. I'm sorry, Jeez. Marin County. Shit, I would have, I would have bought my friends. Okay, I would have paid for friendship. I'm so sorry, Marin County. You better work. But even then, San Mateo is also known as a progressive. Yeah, life. I mean, you know, it's all, it's all Bay Area. But um, the truth of the matter is that, unfortunately, things like homophobia and you know those kinds of yuckiness exist everywhere. Doesn't really matter, you know, how liberal the reputation you know of a community is um but i mean yeah i mean there i think there's definitely people that had it worse than me um but yeah i mean it was it's it's what allows you to you know to grow a thick skin <laughs> well i figure you must have been grown tough uh, considering you, you come from a single parent uh your, yeah. your mother i'm sure you know she instilled I figured usually when I meet people who, with single parents, they're mm-hmm. still the certain you get. You got to take care of yourself now. Like you kind of, is, right. is, is that how you're raised? Yeah, I mean, my my you know my mom raised us to um, definitely be independent and um, you know pay for your own stuff. Except this iced coffee that you were so generous. Thanks so much. <laughs> so let me just take one more swallow. Mm. What line of work was she into? She did housekeeping. She cleaned houses. Um, she's retired now and um, lets me pay her bills. I'm like, oh, thanks. How generous of you. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, she. Uh, that's the one thing that definitely stands out from her parenting is independent, independence, being very independent, mm-hmm. not relying on other people, and which I think I so appreciate that because it's like, I'm sure you know, you know, sometimes people are just very unreliable. <laughs> Yeah, you gotta you gotta get things done yourself, okay? Like these Sterling Audio things. I mean, who bought them for you? Uh, I nobody. I did. That's right. You better be independent, okay? <laughs> you better perform at the Independent in San Francisco. No, I haven't. I heard of it. I haven't done it. Yet. I haven't seen. I haven't been to that venue actually, but I, I've heard it's really cool. Cool. Now, mm-hmm. Wow. It's. Uh, can you describe your your creative process when you're writing jokes? When I'm writing jokes, oh God! Because I, I kind of feel like you also rely on your stream of consciousness you're, because you're pretty fast, you're pretty witty. Witty, yeah. So I, I, I know you would have thought I was from Whittier, huh? Where's that at? <laughs> Southern California. Uh, Jorge, you better get out of San Jose, girl. <laughs> I'm a, okay, uh, I'm a prisoner here. <laughs> He's like, is that is that like Gilroy? I'm like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the creative process, it's. I mean, there's definitely, yeah, there's always something going on in my head, you know, it's, it is, it's just kind of spewing things out. Um, but it's tough for me to actually write things on paper. I don't have the patience for that. So, but I do it because that's the only way I'm going to obviously remember. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, I, well, one thing I think, which I, I think is it's always a, a good idea is to, I record 
pretty much all of my sets, be it open mic or showcase, um, because usually something like a riffing comes out at some point or some kind of audience interaction. And I find that it works. You know, you judge from the laughs. And um, and yeah, I mean, there's like a new a new bit that you can keep using, you know. I used to write things on paper a lot more because I didn't have any material. <laughs> so I think now at this point, it's I definitely still, you know, take pen to paper, to paper planes. And, um, you know, whenever that idea comes up, you know, just jot it down on paper. It's, I mean, I would think, I don't think it's too different from the majority of other stand-up comics. Um, I just, yeah, if it's uh, an idea that comes into my head, put it down on paper and hopefully it'll, something that, you know, that I can add to. Um, and then also relying on the recordings mm. uh, from, you know, open mics and, and showcases. What about you? What's your creative process, girl? Oh, uh, um, a lot of self-loathing. Self-loathing? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. thought of work. Okay, maybe it's not It's not too the same then because cause I love myself, okay? I don't know. So for me, it comes and it goes. You know, sometimes I mm-hmm. force it out of me and sometimes it just comes to me when I'm out shopping or when I'm out doing something else. I'm like, oh, that's a pretty funny premise. Well, that's like me and an ex-boyfriend. Funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just like an ex. You know, Force pre- it out of me or I just run into it up in the mall. Now, we okay. talked about this briefly in the car on the drive over here, and that is mm-hmm. relationship and comedy. Uh, mm-hmm. And you uh, we were talking about how it, we're not sure if it helps or it makes it worse if you are a comedic performer. Uh-huh. How were your experiences with dating and, and doing comedy at the same time? <laughs> oh, Jorge, quit giving me new material, please. I have enough jokes to work on. <laughs> God. Well, I mean, for me, it's, um, it, I'm not, I haven't met anyone. I mean, specifically doing comedy. Mm. Uh, whether I think it, it makes things more difficult or easier. I mean, I think it's, <laughs> as far as a single life, I mean... I don't really think it's affected it in any way, either negatively or positively. Um, I mean, I've definitely met other male comics that I w- would definitely get down with, but I don't know. They say this thing about heterosexuality or something. And I'm like, oh, God, that's overrated. <laughs> you got to be open-minded. <laughs> but I mean, that's probably you can tell you know, with like showcases or open mics. It's more, I mean, if you're serious, you're kind of just more focused on what you need to do mm-hmm. I mean that's definitely the case with me I'm just more focused on trying out the new bit or uh, just focusing on the set and you know just trying to stay together um, but you know once once that's done with if you know like the hanging out part afterwards um, it's you know that can be fun but I mean in my case it has not yielded mm. any cock sorry to hear that good doodle do yeah, me too. Hopefully this uh, the drought ends soon for you, hopefully. I think this podcast will change all of that for me. <laughs> I think this podcast is going to just give me so much loving. I'm excited. Now, you mentioned that you were a dancer before you're, you were a uh, comedic performer. Yes. How long have you been dancing and how did you get involved in that? So I, uh, well, you know, I've always been moving my body. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you should have seen me in kindergarten show and tell. I mean, they had to call my parent. <laughs> my parent. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, you know, music has always let my, 
like a, a good friend of mine who's a great great dancer uh he he always i always like to use what he told me once he's like i speak through dance i'm like yes bitch you better work <laughs> which is very true i mean i think sometimes the only way to express what i really am feeling is just to you know is to pop my ass well the thing is is like <laughs> i hear that and like I, I dance to express you know what i'm feeling right but a lot of those feelings tend to be positive ones right it's not like you're in a shitty mood and you're like i'm gonna express it through dancing yeah well sometimes if i'm feeling down um seriously what, speaking, what, what's your go-to move when you're feeling down oh well, i just like to pop my my ass in and out in and out in and out until a burger comes out <laughs> I'm talking animal fries. Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely like to, yeah, like, move my waist a lot. Um, But I started at 14. My intro to an actual dance studio was doing uh, Mexican Frocorico dancing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that was at 14 years old. And um, and I haven't stopped since. I mean, I I stopped dancing with a group, which I did throughout high school. Did you enjoy it at 14? Oh my god! Are you kidding me? It was like it was like stand up discovering stand up comedy. It was like wow! I feel like it's like a new home. Um, yeah, when I started for Corico, I was absolutely infatuated. I don't think um, uh, stand up comedy. I love, uh, I love you know that form of entertaining. But dance has always been the the what I've always been really passionate about. Like you know, I have to do it. Like, I can go days without doing stand-up comedy. <laughs> um, but, you know, the humor's always there, too. You know, with, like, being witty and stuff. It's just, you know, it's in my everyday conversation. But dance is... I mean, it's... I have to do it at least once a, once a day. How long were you uh, performing at this Flocorico uh, studio? I did Flocorico for about five years with a group. What kind of places and, were you performing at? All, all kinds of places. I mean, you know... Um, well, here in the United States, that's it's known as Mexican Independence Day, but Cinco de Mayo festivals. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that was a joke. Jorge, laugh. I need a, I need a recognition. <laughs> no, but um, but yeah, like, you know, like Cinco de Mayo festivals, um, September, you know, the actual Mexican Independence Day festival. September sixteenth, which Sep- yeah, that, which that's not, too, not long too long ago, ago. Yeah. yeah. And it's uh, so just all over, you know, different kinds of events. And um, and I'm so happy that so I uh, at one point my niece was doing it also and I remember I saved up money during when I was working in high school to uh, get someone a seamstress to make a dress for her you know the, like the big ones like you move and stuff like that mm-hmm. and um, so she stopped doing it a long long time ago she was never you know really on board I think it was more so just because I'm like let me do your trenzas. Mm. But um, that was a sip of the iced coffee. Uh, but now, see, it's like how things just kind of like it's a cycle of things. I'm I now done Flocorico dances too at the end of my comedy sets. <laughs> oh, do you? Absolutely. Oh, okay. As a matter of fact, I'm going to do it for my next show on Monday, the 25th of September. Comedy Kiki at the Stud. Nice. So you're you were you mentioned that you were working through high school. Mm-hmm. What line of work were you working? I was, um, you know, I've always kind of gravitated naturally towards front desk work, receptionist, um, which is what I'm doing now to, you know, joking aside to actually really pay bills, <laughs> just barely. But, um, but yeah, I was a receptionist at a hair salon in high school because, you know, I didn't want to, really? I didn't want anyone to suspect that I was gay. So, um, well, I don't think the hair salon was a good choice <laughs> for that. 
it was a joke, Jorge. <laughs> oh my god, I'm, the, I'm about to put the hoe in Jorge. You're too fast for me. That's mm-hmm. all. That's your... <laughs> yeah, that's what they all say. <laughs> I'm like, but you're the one that came first. <laughs> so you work at a hair salon in high school? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. So how was that experience um, like? It was cool. Yeah. I mean, I felt I felt right at home. <laughs> okay. Um, it was cool. I mean, it was uh, it was an expensive place. And so it was like, you know, the clientele were like rich bitches and stuff. And I'm just talking about the men. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. But it was cool for, you know, for well, for high school. It's kind of hard to fuck up a, a man's uh, hair uh, haircut, right? I mean. No, it's not. <laughs> really? You can fuck it up, girl. Now, some guys are walking out of there. I'm like, you really just paid $50 for that shit? Jesus. <laughs> but, um, well, you know, well, hairstyles are so... It's all relative of what looks good to you yeah. and other, you know, versus what others think, really. Well, I'm not sure. I mean, maybe you could give me some insight, but mm-hmm. when I go to the uh, hairstylist or the, you know, whatever they cut my hair, mm-hmm. they either hate me or they love me because I'm like, hey, okay. hey, I'm balding. I don't care. Do mm-hmm. what do what you feel is best. Okay. And some people really, you know, take it upon themselves. Like, oh, yeah, cool. Like, you know, I'm giving them freedom. Yeah, and some people are like, "No, you gotta tell me what you want." Like, I don't like. Oh, they need the direction. Yeah, or the specificity. And I'm like, "Does it matter? I'm balding." Like, okay. At, at the end of the day, I'm balding. At the end of the day, you're like, I don't know. I have literally it, these two strands of hair. <laughs> Should I highlight one of them? No, no matter what you do, <laughs> I'm gonna look better than I already do. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Do, did you ever have to like you know experience that when you're working there? Like people? Oh God, that was so long ago. I. Uh, I mean, I think it was, they kind of just knew what they wanted, I guess, the, mm. the people. I mean, everyone wants to look, I mean, if you're paying money for someone, you know, to kind of, to fix you up so you can feel a little bit better about yourself, um, I mean, they better do it. <laughs> I really feel bad for women, man. Jesus, like the, the prices to to, to uh, do women are astronomical. Uh, excuse me? You mean hair? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's... um. My sister came back from like a haircut, and she's like, oh, did you like it? I'm like, oh. She's like, well, it costs like $90. Oh, my God. Like, what the... F-? Like, Was that the sister that I just met outside? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, she's really pretty. Yeah. yeah don't, just don't tell her that. Don't, don't, don't tell her. Don't oh, stroke her ego. Right? Okay. She flaunts it already. Well, I did tell your mother that she looked very young, because I was like, oh, you his other sister? She's like, I'm his mother. I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. Oh my god! But when she, you know, I gave her, when I, I gave her that, that compliment, she was like, "Oh, you're so sweet. Here's the keys to the house." I'm like, "Cool." <laughs> so you can see Jorge in his in his onesie. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and his pantuflas. Oh, yeah. I was like, "Oh not, shit!" Not, not a pretty sight. Tell you that. <laughs> um, what's not a pretty sight? Me in a in a onesie, in a onesie. Or, or speedo or Ooh. yeah. You, you, no. Ju- well, you let me be the judge, Judy. Okay, I, I think I, I would even cause gays to go straight. You know, so, <laughs> so you gotta take it easy on that one. You weren't playing about that self loathing. <laughs> <laughs> you, I want to loathe the bread. Wait, so, I mean, but what about you? You are you? You said you're single, right? Uh, yeah. Oh, you said it's complicated. Single, com- you know, everything's complicated with me. But yeah, you know, it's just mm-hmm. yeah, single. I don't know. What can I say? Like officially, like uh, it's Facebook official. Yeah, sure. Facebook official. Well, you know that's pretty official nowadays. You know, <laughs> sometimes it's not even official unless it's on Facebook. Right. right. Okay. 
So, I mean, but are you, what's your type of, um, what's, do you have an, like, an ideal partner? Or I don't, really. Like, like either physical or, you know, know personality fun- and all that. It's funny you ask me that. Okay, uh, keep it shit. Because, <laughs> no, because, you know, the other day I was thinking of all the exes I had. All, like, the, all the what? Exes. Oh, ex girlfriends uh-huh. I had. Oh, exes. Yeah. I said access. I'm like, ooh, to where? <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking about it. I was like, you know what? They're all different. Like, I, I, I don't, mm-hmm. really, I, I don't, you know, I can't say, oh, I'm a brunette kind of guy or at all because uh-huh. I, I dated a variety uh-huh. uh, of, you know. So I don't think I have a specific type. I think it just has to be okay. a, a certain, you know, or what, what time and place. The, the mm-hmm. one thing that the one thing that they all have in common though is that mm-hmm. they all broke up with me. Uh, oh, well, so. that's that's, That's the a best sign, I guess, of something. <laughs> I don't know about you, but uh, like I don't know. Like I, uh, I was thinking of this too. It's kind of stupid, but I kind of have a fear of being the rebound person. You, well, you ever thought about that? Like, is this person really with me, or is this person using me to? Like, oh, girl, no, I'll take it. Yeah, uh, I don't care. <laughs> I was never really good at basketball anyway. It's all about the rebound. <laughs> okay, I'm really paranoid about that stuff. I know it's not a good thing to confess. Uh, you know, uh, but no, yeah. but it's it's, it's I'm a little paranoid good to about get it. Out. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I I would think that you know nobody wants to be the rebound, right? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like you know second choice again. Going back to you know. The one and only Joan Rivers saying being the second choice, but you go with it. It's all mm-hmm. good. Just make sure you get some. <laughs> okay. I mean, I don't really feed into the whole like, you know, I just got out of a relationship, so you know, like I'm just kind of like trying to have fun. I'm like, well, mm-hmm. girl, you said it. Okay, I'm trying to have fun too. Let's do it. <laughs> I mean, I think for me, like at least, I mean, it'd be great to have a more of a serious relationship, but you know, if the person just wants to have fun, I'm down for that too. It is all good. Now, one thing I would admit that comedy has helped uh, in this field is that uh, it's a good way to process heartbreak. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you agree with that? Like, yeah, not for me personally. I mean, because I've never really had. I've, you never had your heart broken I've, I've, before. I've, I've definitely had my heart broken. I've had more, a lot of things broken, but yeah, the heart's definitely one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Some things that are shaped like the heart. Yeah. But um, yeah, but stand-up comedy is not going to solve that. Let me tell you. The only good thing about that is I'll be standing because I can't sit. But <laughs> no, I think um, you know, depending on what the the comics approach to stand up comedy, you know, to doing stand up comedy is, I think it's yeah, definitely very therapeutic. Yeah. And I think it's great too. It's like um, uh, you know, from the audience perspective, to listen to someone um, just share themselves. I think is always great. Be yeah, it, you know, except, doesn't necessarily have to be funny. Well, the only person who really has a problem with that would be the open mic host. You know, like, oh, you know, right. oh shit, he's, he's not even telling jokes at this point. He's just yeah. gonna light them up. I think that's one of my yeah. <laughs> Believe me, I've seen that light. Okay, yeah. But, I was uh, like, I, I, I don't even think going to you know going into heaven, you see that much light. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, do you have a type? Is there a certain type uh, that you? I don't well, know, remember look, I told you to? my story. That's what I tell pretty much anyone when this kind of thing comes up. Uh, talk show, Jenny Jones in the '90s. She had a guest on. Uh, it was uh, this lady with like long, really colorful fingernails, and the topic was like, "I'm proud of being a hoe," or something along those lines. And and this is what I was like, 12 years old when I watched this particular episode. And what <laughs> this guest said has has always summed it up for me. You know, Jenny. 
asked Jenny Jones asked the guest she was like so what I mean what kind of men do you like do you just like have a particular type she's like I like all men I like all men I was like yes that just made perfect sense to me <laughs> but I think when it comes down to it do you have like a certain type of men and not necessarily you know race or whatever but mm-hmm. more, more about like a personality maybe or well I mean that's definitely something you need to, you can connect with you know, on, on some kind of point. I mean, I think they have to have at least like an eight-inch personality. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, I mean, I think it's yeah. yeah. Uh, for me, it's not so much yeah, like the physicality. I mean, there's definitely things that turn me on, but um, I think it's just more so for me. It's just basics, like someone that showers daily. Um, you know, their breath doesn't smell like a recent rim job. <laughs> Um, they don't take themselves too seriously and you know they have to of course you know, enjoy humor right I, I, I think that, you know that's a big one they gotta have a good sense of humor absolutely yes or good enough sense of humor you know um, I was gonna say that I'm not sure if I would really connect well with someone that's introverted but um, I, maybe I would I mean I kind of played both roles you know I can be um, contrary to popular belief, but you know, I definitely appreciate my alone time and just like going to a cafe or even like the library and just like I don't really read books, but um, you know, enjoying Netflix or YouTube, but just really, you know, enjoying alone time. That's so an interesting notion because mm-hmm. uh, you have such a big personality on stage. Hello, and I wonder how you process that when you decide to, you know, kind of mellow out and and, right. and have a. Uh, some privacy exactly I think it's just human nature though too I mean I think it's just to you know everyone's extent is different um, where you everyone needs their alone time just to kind of you know replenish and enjoy your own company I definitely enjoy my own company maybe some maybe a little too much sometimes but uh, <laughs> but yeah I mean I think you definitely have to enjoy yourself and then I think that allows you you know to enjoy others and their um and their flair, their Ric Flair. Woo! Now, do you feel like you have a hard time adjusting to one or the other, you know, side of you, or do you, do they sometimes blur the line of, of who who you're trying uh-huh. to who you're trying to honestly be at the moment? Like, for example, maybe you meet a couple people and they expect you to be that big personality. Right. And yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I feel like sometimes because uh, I mean, you know, I mean. You know, I'm still an amateur uh, comic and stuff, but locally, you know, people that have seen me on stage and stuff, I think it is expected or they think they assume that that's what I'm like all the time. And I am like that a lot of the time. But, um, you know, when they're just like, come on, come on, why can we not be funny right now? I'm like, oh, my God, somebody get a steak knife. (laughs) (laughs) I've been in that situation. And I'm vegetarian. Okay. Yeah. Um. Oh yeah, you're vegetarian. Yeah. How long you been a vegetarian for? I've been vegetarian since 2009. So yeah. since since comedy, pretty much, right? Uh, well, that's when I did my very first open mic, but I, then yeah. I didn't really start start until 2012. Why um, the decision to go vegetarian? I mean, for a Latino, that's gonna be a hard decision. Yeah, really. It's not an easy one. Well, you know, there's still bananas and sweet potatoes, so. True. <laughs> you know that banana is very appealing. But, uh, well, you know, our meat industry here in the United States is not the best. It's not the healthiest because it's all about mass production. So, you know, I read, like, 
I read Fast Food Nation and other books about, uh, you know, despite I'm actually not much of a reader, but they were interesting. Just about like the meat industry here in the United States and, you know, just the focus on mass production. So, you know, there's the animals are treated in a very disgusting way. And uh, at the same time, because they're kept in such bad conditions, it's, you know, like shit gets into the meat basically. Mm-hmm. And um, people get sick, and and I think also like you know an element of health. Also, it's just I think it's just easier to be vegetarian, and you know we live in a great place where there's plenty of vegetarian options. Mm. And I think since becoming vegetarian too, like I just feel better overall. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. And you, know, you don't have to worry about like meat recalls and all that stuff although like sometimes vegetables get recalled too I right. mean, like E. coli or so, I thought social, like Arnold Schwarzenegger was making a sequel it's total recall <laughs> <laughs> alright looks like we're reaching the hour mark oh my god but are we really I like yeah. to time myself so yeah, let no. me see how long have we been doing this oh you're right 57 minutes yeah. 42 seconds and counting one last question before we get out of here yes if you go back in time and you see yourself as that, you know, fourteen-year-old, you know, getting into flamenco dancing, and uh-huh. working at a hairstylist salon, and you better work. Uh, what's some advice you'd give yourself? Oh my good lord, have mercy! Oh, back, I gotta think back. Where's Marty McFly when you need him? Um, let me just take a sip of this caffeines. What kind of advice would I give to myself? Plain and simple, I would just be like. Girl, you better work. Okay, just keep on. I mean, I don't know if it always necessarily gets better, but you will you will get more fears, <laughs> which will allow for things to get better. <laughs> and to, yeah, I mean, I would just say that and just to, yeah, just to, to be fierce and just to really enjoy everything you do and do it because you want to do it not because it's expected mm. that you do it. That would have saved me, you know, six years of college. What well, activities? <laughs> oh, it was college you got into because you were expected to go into it? Not as, I mean, it was like, I felt, I, it was more so me, actually. No one was pressuring me. And I don't have any regrets about going to college, but, um, you know, I got, I got a, actually a full scholarship, and I think that kind of added to it. But I just did it because... You know, it just seemed like I thought that that would be, you know, the path to success. And, you know, I'm a receptionist still, so... <laughs> or were you studying? I, I got my degree in ethnic studies from Cal State... What well, was Cal State Hayward at the time? Cal State East Bay now. Ethnic studies? Ethnic studies. Oh, or ethnic, ethnic studies. Ethnic, girl, you know, like our brown skin. Que viva la raza, si se puede. Was there a specific ethnicity you were, you were studying? Uh, well, I took the it's ethnic studies and I took the focus on, or the concentration, I think is what it was referred to as, in African American studies and Latino studies. But, you know, it, it's all, it, that particular major, it all complements itself. It was great. I mean, it was, it was a great learning experience. What was the biggest impression uh, that experience gave you? It, I mean, you you learn about uh, you learn about events that took place that I don't think you otherwise would learn about if you didn't take that particular course. Hmm. You know, things that had to do with like the civil rights movement, the Chicano movement, and how certain programs now, like you know, the EOP program that you know assists kind of 
you know, academically disadvantaged students, how they all came to fruition because of these social movements. So, you know, it's all education. Hmm. It's all education. So it was, it was a great, it was a great time. Um, but, you know, I kind of always knew, like, I just want to work to, to get a paycheck. I don't really <laughs> have a, a lot of people go into teaching that go, that pursue the ethnic studies degree. Right. Or uh, become social workers. And I've given that a stab. And um, then I wanted to stab myself because I was like, I cannot do this. Well, interesting. Um, but, I, you know, I still work, I work for a nonprofit and I'm still in that field. Field, exactly. It's just, you know, I prefer the administrative part of it. And that's the advice that I would give to my 14-year-old self is to, um, you know, stay in the field as a receptionist. Sue's <laughs> <laughs> pleasure having you here. Thank you so much, Jorge. I've had a great yeah. time here. Uh, before we go, uh, mm-hmm. where can people check out your stuff? You have any upcoming shows? You have, oh, uh... thank you so much. Well, if you're still listening, because I know my mom's tuned out by now, now is, uh, I have my website. That's www.hesusyoubetterwork.com. And I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, and uh, people can always come out and check out the monthly showcase that I co-host with Justin Lucas, which is the Comedy Kiki, every fourth Monday at the Stud Bar in San Francisco in the South of Market neighborhood, 8.30 p.m. show, $5 suggested donation, no one turned away, no one turned away, just turned around. <laughs> I always mess that one up. But um, but yeah, that's, I'm around. All right, Suze, thank you for coming. Oh, thank you. Thank you for coming. fun times with jesus you better work all right people that's it for today have a great sunday or have a great week maybe you're in the middle of the week i don't know where you're at whatever it is you're doing i hope you guys are doing just okay if not better And if you're not okay, well, shit, I don't know what to tell you. But that's it for this week. Until next Sunday, we have a great guest. We have a very young musician. And we actually had a really good talk. And uh, she performs a song. So look forward for that one. Until then, sayonara. Have a good Sunday.